This is the Bobcast, a podcast exploring Reformed theology through the works of Herman Bovink. Welcome to another exciting episode of Bobcast. I am Andrew Smith. And I'm excited. But are you really excited? No, I'm Caleb Castro. That's disappointing. But I am excited for uh, another episode of Bobcast. Yeah, because we're going to tell you why you need to baptize your babies. <gasps> but, but... That's Roman Catholic. Is it, though? No, not really. It's biblical. Yeah. And now we're going to tell you why. In Genesis 17, God gives Abraham this circumcision as something that is to be done for the covenant people. So you have it given to Abraham himself, a grown man. And then you also have it given to everyone in his household, adults and children alike. Now... This is something that becomes important as we start to think about covenant signs in the New Covenant, particularly with baptism. Caleb. Hi. What does this have to do with baptism? Uh, It has a lot to do with baptism, though some might disagree with us. Uh, Some usually being, in in a manner of speaking, uh, the Baptists. There's a pretty big difference here. So... For those in the Reformed Presbyterian tradition, we see that there is an element of continuity between circumcision, the ordinance of command of, of circumcision, and the sacrament of baptism. Uh, and that's largely because of, say, for example, in Colossians chapter 2, where Paul says in verse 11, uh, in him, Jesus Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Likewise, we have in Acts 2 a quotation by Peter in his uh, Pentecost sermon. With the coming of the Holy Spirit, Peter says in verse 37, after giving a, a bit of a summary of a gospel presentation to those who had gathered to hear him. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the reason he gives for this is here from uh, Genesis 17. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. You get this with Peter, this connection between the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the promise of the covenant in Genesis 17. And Paul is picking up on what the Holy Spirit does in uniting us to Christ is essentially a circumcision of the heart, and that this is given as a sign and seal with baptism, as he had said in Colossians 2.12. So here we're getting a very big explanation then of just what the scope of the covenant is. We already have it here in Genesis 17. Yes, Abraham, now Abraham, is the father of the multitude of nations, but it's not 
as we had said, because of Genesis 16, as example, it is not merely nations by his DNA. It's not earthly nations, but it is all nations of the earth from whom the Lord is drawing his people spiritually, true Israel. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations. Kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant. So this is God's covenant. He's going to incorporate those whom he will into it. And that is going to include not only the individual whom he makes covenant with, but also the right to the promise of the covenant for that individual's generations. For their children. Their offspring. Other synonyms. One verse I really love in this, you know, you're seeing this initially given in the context of this, this household. When he says how he's going to give him a sign of the covenant, which again, this is the accompaniment here. The covenant is promised. To ratify it, we have this ritual act here with the shedding of blood. So here's the sign of the covenant. Verse 10. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. So he's saying the males among you. It will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. So this isn't though just the offspring, the DNA of Abraham. So it's not going to be just Abraham's kids. But it's also not just going to be the kids of Abraham's brothers or of Abraham's cousins. No, God adds here in verse 12, every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So surely uh, indicating the extent of the severity of this command, this imperative here. You better do it. You better do it. Not just your flesh and blood DNA in your household, but foreigners. And Andrew, what's the word for foreigner that would be employed here? Goyim. Goyim. The goyim, which is a phrase that translates to people, to nations, but not just very specifically a people, but typically it's used to talk about Gentiles. The outsiders, the less desirable ones if you will, the ones who they're not to associate in other places they're told to not intermix with and stay away from. So from the outset here, with the specifics of the sign and seal of the promise, you have Gentiles already incorporated, which goes back to uh, what Andrew was talking about with Japheth. Ultimately, the line of Gentiles are going to be incorporated, and here you already have it initiating. Well, this isn't an incredible thing then when we go back to something like Acts 2, where you have the nations gathering to hear the gospel preached by Peter. And he's saying, repent and be baptized. There's already a recognition that baptism succeeds the covenant sign and seal. So Peter is preaching that there is going to be this now the fulfillment of a larger incorporation of people. Many nations, because again, who's Peter's audience there in the middle of Jerusalem in Acts 2? It's not just Jews, but people are hearing the gospel in many tongues, many languages from their own nations. And he's saying the promise is for you who repent and who are baptized. 
And it's for all who are far off. All who are far off now being brought near. So they've been grafted into the promise. And again, this is not at all inconsistent with what's already being taught. This is showing us the nature of circumcision doesn't have to do ultimately with the outward sign in order to incorporate you in. Moses had this in mind already. He is explaining this in his long final sermon to the nation of uh, Israel before they enter the land of promise. He says in Deuteronomy 10, Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. And then he says, The Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. So here Moses is saying then the outward sign and ratification of blood through that sign of circumcision was not the point. God was after those who had a circumcised, a consecrated heart. Later in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, you see something echoed similarly. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. So note here that God is the one who does the action, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. So again, this circumcision, it's not the goal so much of the sign itself, this bloody sign that's done to a particular part of the body, there is a circumcision of the heart that it symbolizes. And it came up even in the Colossians passage earlier, talking about the circumcision made without hands. Right. And you're going to have concurrence with this. Paul talks about this very same thing in Romans 2, 28 to 29. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not for man, but from God. And likewise, Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-three, with the promise of the covenant that God will put his law within his people and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, they shall be my people. And you can keep going. Ezekiel 11 you know, and you're going to have uh, Ezekiel 36. The evidence throughout Scripture on the true nature of circumcision is monumental. But this is what ultimately becomes fulfilled in baptism. Going back to Genesis 17, looking at verse 14, Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So this shows that there can be covenant-breaking there can be apostasy, if you will. There can be those who, although they come from the covenant line, they do not receive the blessing. They do not belong truly to the people of God. So this is where we get into a distinction that comes up when we're talking about not just the covenant and the covenant sign, but the church, the distinction between the visible and the invisible church, which to the Presbyterian and Reformed tradition is very important, though, again, the Baptists may disagree. Just because someone is born into a covenant family, receives the sign of the covenant, does not mean that they necessarily 
belong to Christ does not mean that they're necessarily a part of God's people. You can see this, for instance, in the wilderness generation. Those who were brought out of Egypt, they were visibly a part of the covenant people, but many of them fell when they did not enter into the rest. Not only did they not enter into the rest of the promised land, but they were rebels. They were apostates. They perished in the wilderness. So, too, is it even in the new covenant. There are people who are visibly members of the covenant, visibly members of the church, baptized, perhaps even for a time professing faith, but they're not truly of God's people. They break the covenant. They trample the blood of the covenant. So this is where we get passages like Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10, which are difficult passages, but dealing with those who seem to fall away. It's those who visibly are in the covenant, but invisibly in their hearts, they lack the circumcision of the heart. They lack the true regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. And so we have this promise with Abraham that he would be the father of a multitude of nations and that uh, the Lord would be faithful to his offspring after him. Now, in, in wrapping up this episode, before we transition on to the Mosaic covenant or the Mosaic economy, I want to bring us back to our discussion at the beginning of this section on Abraham. We had noted that the original mandate given to Adam in the garden came in the form of a blessing. Uh, Genesis 1.28, God bless them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule. Genesis 9, this was repeated with God blessing Noah and his sons. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, be fruitful and multiply, populate the earth abundantly and multiply it. Genesis 12, we heard that to Abram, I will bless you, I will bless those who bless you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here we just heard it again, Genesis 17, I will multiply you exceedingly, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. But Genesis 22, you have uh, another repetition of this, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. In Genesis 26, 3, again, I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants, I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath which I swore to your father, Abraham. So we see this transition now in the promise going to Isaac in preparation for his descendants in obtaining the promised land. This is repeated Genesis 26, 4, the next verse. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So the words spoken to Abraham are these same words now being spoken to Isaac. It's the same promise. Again, Genesis 26, 34, I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Genesis 28, 3 to 4, God Almighty will bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. Genesis 28, 13 to 14, your seed shall be also like the dust of the earth, and all the families of the earth will be blessed. Genesis 35, 11 to 12, Be fruitful and multiply. I am the Lord God Almighty. Kings shall come forth from you. This is now to Jacob. In Genesis 47, 27, Now Israel lived in the land of Egypt, in Goshen, and they acquired property in it, and were fruitful, and became very numerous. So Genesis ends with something of already a, a partial earthly fulfillment of what God promised to Abraham and also then to Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And that when we enter into Exodus, it again says that the Lord had multiplied the numbers of the Hebrews even while they sojourned 
in Egypt and in captivity. So God is making his promise great. He is blessing, as he had said, for the sake of Abraham. But really, it's for the sake of the seed, Jesus Christ, who will come through Abraham. So with that, we thank you for joining us for another Bobcast, looking at the covenant of grace as it relates to Abraham. Lord willing, next time we will get into the covenant with Moses. And there's a lot there with the covenant of Moses. It can be one of the more disputed and controversial aspects of covenant as to what exactly is going on with the Mosaic covenant. You won't want to miss it. We hope you'll join us. And until then, tote zines. Tote zines. Thank you for listening to Bobcast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and leave a five-star review where you get your podcasts. For the latest Bobcast news and updates, visit Bobcast.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Bobcast is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Subscribe to the Society of Reformed Podcasters feed to hear more great theological content. Music is City of God by Rudy Manrique. We hope you'll join us again next time.